The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Support for this show comes from Shambhala Publications, host of an upcoming online course, The Heart of the Matter, How to Live with Compassion and Courage, taught by Pima Chodron. To learn more or register, visit www.shambhala.com. From Spirituality and Health Magazine, I'm Rabbi Rami, and this is Essential Conversations. My guest today is Joshua Becker, author of The More of Less, Finding the Life You Want Under Everything You Own. Joshua Becker is a minimalist. Anything else I might say about him violates his minimalist ideal, but let me nevertheless add that he is also the author of the Wall Street Journal bestseller, Simplify, and Clutter Free with Kids. A review of his new book, The More of Less, appears in the May-June issue of Spirituality and Health magazine. Joshua Becker, welcome to Essential Conversations. Wow, thank you for having me. It is a pleasure. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I, I find the very idea of minimalism compelling. I thought the book was a lot of fun. Um, so let's start out with the definition of how you understand minimalism. On the surface, uh, I would um, most people would describe minimalism as this idea that life is better purposefully owning less stuff. Uh, that, that there is more joy to be found in owning less than we can ever find pursuing more. Uh, and so people who are pursuing minimalism as a lifestyle have um, kind of bucked the trend of consumerism and constant accumulation and uh, are happy with what they have um, and actually pursue less uh, rather than more. And you came upon this because you're a hoarder and your therapist told you to try it out? Or you know, how did you, what brought you to minimalism? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, I was uh, I, I typically describe myself as a pretty middle of the road, middle class American uh, living in the suburbs. Uh, we had had several uh, pay increases and job promotions over the years, and uh, with each move, seemed to buy a bigger house, and uh, with a bigger house came more things inside of it. Uh, I was first introduced to minimalism on a Saturday morning. Uh, I was cleaning out my garage, doing some spring cleaning. Um, I had piled everything up in my driveway. I'd spent hours working on the garage. Uh, my son, um, his name is Salem, he was five years old at the time, and um, he was in the backyard playing by himself, but asking me about every 20 or 30 minutes if I was done so I could come play with him. And I kept pushing him off. I can't, I can't, I got to finish um, what I'm doing. Uh, my neighbor, I uh, struck up a conversation with her. She was doing her yard work at the same time. And we both started complaining about how much effort had gone into taking care of our homes. And she said, um, you know, that's why my daughter's a minimalist. She keeps telling me I don't need to own so much stuff. And I remember looking at the pile of 
dirty, dusty things piled up in my driveway I'd spent all morning taking care of, knowing full well that my possessions weren't making me happy. But out of the corner of my eye, I see my five-year-old son swinging alone in the backyard and suddenly had this realization that everything I owned wasn't making me happy, but even worse, everything I owned was actually taking me away from the very things that do bring happiness and purpose into my life. So that was my introduction to this idea um, that we can remove so much burden from our lives and so much distraction from our lives by purposefully owning less stuff. And the more that's in the title, uh, is that this, the happiness and purpose? Is that what, you, what you're referring to? Yeah, what I'm referring to in the title, the, the subtitle, Finding the Life You Want Under Everything You Own, um, uh, kind of couched in that subtitle is this idea that that if you ever talk to someone, you know, and, and you know, sit across a table from them and say, what do you really want to accomplish in life? Few people respond by saying, I just want to accumulate and buy as many things as possible. You know, most of us speak to matters of the heart. We, we talk about relationships. We talk about significance and impact, that, that that's the life that, that we want to be living and what we want to be accomplishing. Unfortunately, it seems that society hijacks our passions and, and begins directing us towards bigger houses and nicer cars and more expensive furniture and more clothes. And we begin chasing, accumulating all of those things without even realizing that, that, um, that all that stuff is actually taking us away from what we really want to be doing with our lives. So I, I'm intrigued by this notion that, you know, we get, we get sucked into this consumerist mentality by the society itself. It seems to me that, that buying stuff or owning stuff and having stuff is in the very DNA of Western civilization. It seems that, I mean, in the Abrahamic religions, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, you could almost make the case that stuff comes from God, and the more stuff you have is proof that God loves you. Uh, it's, that's the entire theology of the prosperity gospel, for example. So, in, in what way, if you think about that for a second, in what way is minimalism a spiritual revolution? Yeah, um, I, I would describe it as saying, um, I think that we, um, we, we fall short of, of God's greatest blessings on our lives when, when we just consider physical things and stuff and accumulation of, of material things that, that the, that the, that the God's greatest blessings on our lives are, um, hope and peace and, um, joy and, and love and, and opportunity to fulfill all that, that we can be, um, with our lives, with the one life that we've been given, um, to live. And, um, certainly I think in, in America, certainly in, in many of the the Western nations, right? That that the accumulation of things, that money, riches, possessions, that that this has become the the goal. That this is often considered to be the the crowning jewel of achievement in life. Um, but in in reality, I, I don't think it is. Uh, I think it's I think it's falls short. I think it's far short of um, what our lives could be. Yeah, and certainly. I mean, I mean, it's more difficult to get that that sense of peace, that sense of grace, than it is to prepare for the iPhone 7 in a few months. So I can see why people might say, well, you know what, it's easier 
to go for the new the new computer, the new iPhone, the next big TV, whatever it's going to be, than those those less tangible things. But how do you think it plays out with people who can't afford stuff anyway? I think 47 million Americans live uh, below the poverty line. Uh, my numbers may be off, but I think it's somewhere around there. Is minimalism something for a specific class? I mean, do you have to have the capacity to have maximalism before you can make the, the jump and say, hey, I could, but I won't, and I'm going to be a minimalist? What if you're forced into min- minimalism by economic circumstance? Yeah, so I'll, I, I start with a, with a general baseline understanding that, that owning less is better than pursuing more, that, that many of our, our greatest stresses of, of the day, um, that the New York Times just ran an article last fall and it referred to America, the current generation, as the, the most hurried, stressed, tired, busy generation of all time. And, uh, and I think it goes directly in line with the fact that we, we've just own more stuff than, than we've ever owned before. Um, and that, that as we begin to own less, we, we find our time and we find our money, we find our energy, uh, we find our focus very freed up um, to pursue the, the life that we most desire. Um, it's, a, it's an interesting conversation when you, uh, when you start looking at different social classes. And I, I think one of the, one of the um, criticisms that I hear of minimalism is, well, that that's just for you know upper class people. That's that's for people who who have means that that can even choose minimalism. And while there's maybe a grain of truth in it, what what I find to be true is that that there are are different temptations in life dependent upon your your social class, right? That that those who do have means. That, that there are certain temptations related to having riches, related to money uh, that comes with it, um, and that there are other temptations, I think, that come from, um, from, from living below the poverty line. Um, and many times, whether we are accumulating things, thinking that we're going to find security in them, or we are accumulating things because we just have excess and we're, we think that the buying things are going to satisfy our, our, our discontent, um, that oftentimes that, that, that's never the answer. Um, and, uh, and so I think it, I honestly think that it's a, a lifestyle choice um, for, uh, for people, regardless of what their income level is, uh, regardless of their income bracket, to, to consider the things that they're accumulating and if they actually need them or not. So I'm assuming that means, though, that this, this is, even if we don't talk you know, class or, so, or, or socioeconomic status, and I'm, just, I'm thinking about you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, that there's certain things that, that we need. Um, Food, shelter, safety—you know that kind of thing—and for lots of people, that's—I mean—that's a challenge just just to to have those very very basic things. When do you think, and maybe you think it starts right from the beginning, and that would be an interesting thing to explore. But but what at what point do you think becoming a minimalist is solves a problem? I, I guess that you might say, at what point does the problem emerge? In, in the, do, you, do you have to have a minimum kind of income uh, before you, you can really take this seriously? No, I don't think so. Um, I, I, I don't think so at all. You know, it's, it's a little tough. Um, I, I think when you, I mean, if you look in a, on a global scale, uh, I, I mean, even living below the poverty line in, in America, you're, you're doing far better than 
than most of the rest of the world. I, I don't have the statistics in front of me, but it's, it's pretty unbelievable how many billions of people live on less than two or three dollars uh, a day. Um, and so there, I, I almost challenge a little bit, um, it's, it's a, a difficult conversation to have, but most Americans don't consider themselves wealthy. Um, but if you if you look worldwide on a global scale, uh, most of us are already living within the top 10 or 20 percent worldwide. So to go back to your original question, I, I don't have a dollar amount, right? Once you make this amount of money, you're you can become minimalist. It, instead, I would I would challenge us in our notion of of how much is enough, uh, what is enough stuff, um, what is too much stuff, um, what is too little. Uh, most Americans, I don't think, have ever. Uh, wrestled have have most Americans haven't lived in this world of having too little stuff. Uh, most of the time, we we live our lives with with too much, and um, that's when I think uh, this idea of of purposefully owning less starts to find merit and starts to find value in someone's uh, lifestyle. Yeah, I certainly don't think anyone's talking about trying to live on two or three dollars a day in the United States. I mean, we're still fighting for a living wage and we can't seem to get that. But, uh, but I, I take your point. So, so, so it's, it really is up to the individual to decide when minimalism begins to make sense for her or him. So, so let, me, let me shift a little bit. I don't know if you're familiar with this book. Um, it's way before your time. Uh, but in 1968, Eric Fromm wrote this amazing book, To Have or To Be. Is that, did you ever read that book? No, I haven't, but well, I'm I would fascinated definitely by recommend the title. it. Yeah, it, it's it's really very it, it brings a psychological, philosophical um I don't know, foundation for for minimalism and and what you're talking about. It's it's a wonderful book. And in the book he talks about and, and you mentioned this in one of your blogs about um having fewer words. And he says that in a having society, which is the society of too much stuff, nouns predominate. But in a being society, a society that values relationships, that, res- re- that values these intangible things you've been talking about, uh, people who are in that, in, in that world use more verbs than nouns. They're more driven by uh, transaction you know, between people than by the stuff they own. And I'm wondering if you could just talk a little bit about simplifying your language, if you've ever noticed anything around this noun-verb idea that... Uh, minimalists will use more verbs than nouns because they have less things in their lives. Yeah, very interesting. I, um, I have done some different experiments in, in my life. Um, actually, back in college was the first time I was, I was introduced to this idea. We had a, uh, a, a challenge. Um, it was a, a spiritual development course, and uh, we were required to go 24 hours without saying any words. Um, or if we did say anything, we had to you know, just say the least amount. And, and then um, what I found was that the exercise um, forced me to begin evaluating the words that I, I used, the words that I chose. Normally we say something and we just go on and we say something else and we never like sit down and really focus on, okay, why did I say what I say and uh, what was my motivation behind it? Um, you know, one of the things that I learned was that what often, often many of the words that I used were um, out of out of a desire to control, right? Desire to control a situation, uh, to control what people thought about me, um, to control a decision that I thought was the the best decision, um, and uh, that that many times that was my that was my motivation. That um, and I, I guess I could, you know, it's interesting the the nouns and verbs um, comparison. I I haven't seen that study, but I would be uh, quite fascinated by it. 
Yeah, well, take a look at the book. It's, it's, a, it's an excellent book to have or to be. There's a teaching in the Jewish tradition from the Baal Shem Tov, the founder of Hasidic Judaism, and he taught that each person is born with a fixed number of words to speak. It could be a different number for any, in any given individual, and it's not the words themselves, because the number of words. And when you've spoken the last of your allotted number of words, you die. So his teaching was, when you think about what you're going to say next, imagine this is your last word. Is this the quality word you want to die on? <laughs> so that sort of, sort of helps put uh, you know, this minimalist uh, approach to, to language you know, in order. Don't waste your life on saying, you idiot, you know, find something. Yeah. If that's your last word, find something else. I, I want to ask you uh, one last question. And this is about uh, Marie Kondo. She's the Japanese woman who uh, wrote the bestseller, The Joy of Tidying Up. I don't know if you're familiar with that book or not, but in the book, she asks or she suggests that people pick up each item in their home and ask themselves, does this, whatever they're looking, whatever they're holding, does this bring me joy? And if the answer is yes, she says, keep it. If the answer is no, she says, you know, then give it away. So I, I'm curious if, you've, if you have any experience with this, but my real question is, can you offer our listeners sort of this same kind of one sentence minimalist guide to being a minimalist? Yeah, boy, her question has gone um, quite mainstream and so has her book. And I, I will start by saying that I am in favor of anything uh, or any words or any device that helps people own less in a in a world where we're constantly told to own more, um, I think anyone who's who's speaking about the joys of owning less is is fantastic. Her her question of does it spark joy is a is an interesting one to me, um, and I and a lot of people have found benefit from it and and have used it in in a lot of different ways. So I'm I'm all for it. I personally I think the question falls a bit short um, because uh, and I and I write about this in 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 the book The More of Less for me. Possessions aren't, or even I should say this, the goal of life isn't how happy can I be or or what do I have to have or accumulate to bring joy into my life. Instead, I think the question that we should be asking is, what is my purpose in life or what do I want to accomplish with my life? And then from there, we begin working backwards and say, well, if that's what I want to accomplish with my life, what do I need to keep? What possessions do I have around me to help me accomplish that? And what possessions are just distracting me and keeping me from becoming all that I know that I could be and all that I want to be? Um, and so I, th I think her question is wonderful and a lot of people have found benefit in it. I, uh, I think that there's probably a deeper question that each of us should be asking ourselves concerning um, fulfillment and purpose uh, rather than just you know, what makes me the most happy. Yeah. So the question is, you know, what what serves my higher purpose? I, I think that that's very, very insightful and a great place to end this conversation. My guest today was Joshua Becker. He's the author of The More of Less, Finding the Life You Want Under Everything You Own. A review of The More of Less appears in the May-June issue of Spirituality and Health magazine. And you can learn more about Joshua Becker's work at becomingminimalist.com. Joshua, thank you so much for being with us on Essential Conversations. Well, you are very welcome. Thank you for having me. That well, was our pleasure. 
Support for this edition of Essential Conversations comes from Shabala Publications, host of the upcoming online course, The Heart of the Matter, How to Live with Compassion and Courage, taught by Pema Chodron. To learn more and to register, visit, visit www.shambala.com. Essential Conversations with Rabbi Rami is a project of Spirituality and Health magazine. Visit spiritualityhealth.com and subscribe to the magazine in either print or digital formats and download the iTunes app for this podcast. Essential Conversations is produced by Ezra Baker and our program coordinator is Alma Tassi. I'm Rabbi Rami. Thanks for listening. Intuition is our spiritual GPS and the single best tool that we have for navigating our lives. I'm Victoria Shaw, and on my Intuitive Connection podcast, I will share with you the ways to connect with your intuition and awaken the gifts of your soul. In each episode, I'll draw on my own intuitive gifts and my training as an Ivy League trained counselor and psychologist to help support you in reaching your highest potential. Start listening now on Mind Body Spirit FM Podcast Network or wherever you find your podcasts.